Welcome to the She Builds Show. I'm your host, Stephanie Olson, a licensed general contractor who builds new construction, renovates, and designs your vision. Today, more than ever, we need raw, authentic women who are willing to rise above society's norms, break those glass ceilings, and encourage each other to boldly build the life we were meant to live. So honey, what are you building? Welcome to the She Build Show. I want to introduce Amy Rohr. She is the executive director of Valley Contractors Exchange, as well as a skid steer operator and just basically a badass woman who could, without a doubt, build you a house from the ground up with her bare hands. All right. Welcome to the She Build Show. I want to introduce Amy Rohr. She's the executive director of the Valley Contractor Exchange and co-owner of Rohr Construction. In my opinion, she's also a badass skid steer operator and also a woman that could probably, without a doubt, build you a house from the ground up with her bare hands. So welcome to the show, Amy. Thank you, Stephanie. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes, just because I know we've chatted so many times, but I want just to kind of get, have you give me some history of kind of like what led you down the path of like being in construction? Where did that start? Where did that come from? Let's see, I'm a second generation builder. So it started in the diapers. I spent summers, my dad was a developer here in Chico. So I spent summers working on the job site and most afternoons after school. Yeah, so grew up on the job sites, then decided through college to do something else, was a recreation major and somehow ended up back in construction. I married also a second generation builder. So we've just in our spare time always built together, gutted houses, redone them. We're in the process of redoing our house when the campfire struck. So hence that led me to a lot of time on my skid steer cleaning our property and our neighbor's property and then reconstructing with my family, which has been quite a journey, but it's been great. What would you consider like your favorite part of construction? Any kind of dirt work where I can be on my skid steer. Her name is Miss Kitty. I love concrete. I jokingly say it's my drug of choice. And I love framing and standing walls, especially on rebuilds. There's just something so magical when those walls go up. I cry every time. Right. I totally agree. Because <laughs> construction can take so long. Like the process is so long, but going from like slab to walls, it's just this like internal feeling and external, I don't know, like excitement that a house can show up, you know, in a day. It's like, what? It was nothing. And now it's something. Totally. And that's beautiful under normal circumstances, especially when you're building somebody's dream home. But in this scenario where you're actually rebuilding for them to go back home, it's it just gets me every time. I, I even when I'm driving up and down my road and people are standing walls, I'm honking my horn and yes. oh, we're going back home. Oh, that's yeah. amazing. I know that you're involved in so many aspects in construction, but I just like, what would you say just like internally, what do you feel within, you know, just your life and the stuff that you've been through with the campfire and losing your home and all of that? Like, I know that can really change a person and change their direction and change their, their purpose. So I just kind of like, what do you think like your purpose, your calling, your intention is? Uh, without a doubt. It's one talking to girls. Well, anybody that will listen really about how great construction and especially girls, because my generation as a 20 year old, it wasn't really, that book wasn't really open to me, that platform. It should have been, and and being in a building family definitely should have been, but really then it, it really wasn't. So right now I'm just trying to tell any girl that will listen, 
consider construction as a career choice, really anybody. Like you don't have to go to college if you want to do, but to be able to see what you physically build at the end of the day is such a beautiful thing. And really my calling right now is launching a mobile training unit that will travel to areas that have been affected by wildfire. Telling anybody that will listen, like get your power back, pick up a hammer, here's your tape measure. I'll teach you how to read it. I'll teach you how to use these tools and we'll teach you how to build. And really that's just my own personal journey with my family going through that process of feeling totally helpless and then cleaning up our property, literally cleaning out the concrete, cutting out the rebar that we put in, you know, years ago when we were building these patios or whatever we we're doing. That was just so heart-wrenching every day, but such a feeling of accomplishment it was done to have a clean pad. And I just, and then that physical process of rebuilding, if I can teach others in the community, especially women, that you can do it, <laughs> even if you're five, two and 110 pounds, you can do it. And you should be doing it if, if it helps you heal. And Absolutely. I don't see how it can't help you heal. So do you feel, I mean, there's probably like a defining life point of like before the campfire and after the campfire has all of this and losing your home and rebuilding has, has that purpose and calling always been there? Or is it just like really grown out of the situation? I think it's really grown out of the situation. Just, you know, I've always built, but I've always felt like I've been a partner with my husband who kind of took the lead. And now after the campfire, you know, some days he was there, some days he wasn't. First of all, just losing all of our stuff to rebuild with, right? I mean, just talk about crippling a family that is a building family to not have any of those tools left anymore and repurchasing them. And then, you know, just going out there and rebuilding, just having that power of knowing, yes, I could frame this for you. The set of plans, I could frame it for you. And no one person can do it by themselves. Of course, I could never stand a wall by myself, but I can certainly teach people how to do it and want desperately to teach people how to do it. Starting with baby steps, with girls construction camps, with, you know, the recreation department, all the way up to going out into the, the wildfire affected areas and teaching these communities how to physically rebuild themselves. Tell me how like this dream or this, you know, the idea of going out and building with your trailer, like where did that come from? Like, was it like, oh, here's a grant and a thing of money and I could do that. Or was it like, I have an idea and then I'm going to make a path and I'm going to find the funds to be able to do that. And like, what's your end goal with that? Yeah. Like, how do you, you know, you want 70 trailers? Do you like what? <laughs> how big uh, does the dream go? <laughs> 70 would be amazing if I had unlimited funds to do anything with. So it's been something that we've been throwing around here at Valley Contractors Exchange, uh, which for those that don't know, Builders Exchanges are nonprofit member-based construction associations. So, you know, I have the greatest job when I'm not physically out there rebuilding, I get to advocate locally for rebuilding and, and whatever that looks like in various communities throughout the country, because they're everywhere. So it's been something we've been talking about here for 20 years. How great would that be? And we've been trying to find community partners to do that with, like community colleges or Office of Education or just other community partners that could help us make that a reality. And we never really got anywhere on that. And so the silver linings that come out of these terrible natural disasters like we experienced with the campfire and then the subsequent North Complex fire, fortunately, unfortunately, fortunately, provides some funding sources that aren't typically available to us. So we're a nonprofit association. We don't have deep pockets. <laughs> um, we're lucky to break even every year. But through talking with our various community partners and attending meetings with funds that are available, I made a connection with a woman named Chelsea Irvine, who in, works in economic development. And she's very familiar with 
grant funding sources that aren't typically used by our educational partners because I don't want to take from them. And, and really, this model needs to be industry driven. It's really so outside of the box. So anyways, those beautiful things just happen to line up for Chelsea saying, hey, I think I've got this grant and then going, OK, I have this plan. Let me write the business plan, write the dream, basically make a list of all the tools it takes you to build a house and mm-hmm. 300 items. And then and so we're going to start with one truck and trailer. I'm going to hire a full time instructor to do that work and work with them to try to generate community projects. So when we go out to a community like Concow or Berry Creek or these very remote, we're very rural in Northern California. And people think Northern California, they think San Francisco. We are not that. We are, no, we are not. We are three <laughs> hours from there, y'all. <laughs> yes, yes, we are. And we are spread out all over the place. And these people, you know, they there's construction classes available to them if they travel. Well, they can travel. They don't. They don't have a place to live right now. They don't have enough money to put gas in their tanks. So we need to bring it to them. Mm-hmm. So take that truck and that trailer with that full-time instructor that does nothing but instruct. And then of course, you know, I'm going to be there as much as possible and just go into community and say, who's the grandmother? Who's the heart of this community? What do they need done? Or what does this mm-hmm. community need done in general? Find projects that we can actually build while we learn because construction is not something you can just learn in a textbook, right? You right. have to have your hands-on tools is what I say. So get their hands-on tools, teach them the basic safety terminology, all that good stuff, and then get them with their bags on, hands-on tools, rebuilding that thing. And I think, you know, if you've ever driven in a truck with a contractor, anytime you drive by something they've built, they're like, oh, I built that, or I did that, or I did that. It doesn't mean, it doesn't matter if they told you 20 times before that they built that, they're going to tell you again. So I feel like in those communities, it's going to be catchy when one community right. project, maybe I've only got a, like two or three people that are like, you're strange. I don't know what you're all about, but maybe I'll do it. And then when we come back around the next time, that person that did take that time with us the first time is going to be every time they drive. Yeah, by I feel I a sense that. of pride that, you know, I added, I totally, I feel that way too. It's like, I'm driving around with my kids and I'm like, Oh, mommy did that house. Mommy did that. You know, and it right. didn't feel it's such a sense of pride that you've added something to the community to you know, where you live and to be able to share that. And I never really got that until we lost everything. And, Mm -hmm. and it was like, man, you feel so powerless, but yeah. yeah. So this is just like a journey of getting your power back and spreading, you know, and I know that you've also told me that out of this, you can come up, the people that participate in the program actually will get some sort of certified training, right? Yeah, ideally, if they have two weeks to spend with us, it's an 80-hour NCCER core curriculum. It's an industry-recognized, all over the United States, industry-recognized basic construction skills and safety. So they can take that if they want to enter the workforce, which, no joke, that's what we're also trying to do here. You know, when we talk about rebuilding after the campfire and rebuilding paradise, it's painfully slow only because we don't have the physical bodies to do the work. So if we can empower people and the other part of that is construction is a really intimidating industry to get into, especially as a woman, right? Like Uh physically go on a job site and work. Show up. Yep. To show up (laughs) and utilize that, those tools and equipment and know what you're doing. It's, it's hard. It's intimidating. So I feel like if we can go into these communities and teach them those basics and then empower them and have them physically build something. And then they can look at it and say, wow, I did that. Then maybe they'll consider that as a career choice. So yeah, if they can do the full 80 hour NCC or core curriculum, then we will get them certified in that. 
and then help them with job placement at the end of it. And then the other thing that I really want to amazing. I know, right? And the other thing I really want to do is maybe there's laborers out there or people that want to start working in concrete or the MEPs, mechanical, electrical, plumbing, as we refer to them in the trades. You know, there's a whole nother skill set that those individuals need. So again, this is not going to be a set curriculum. I'm going to gather my local concrete contractors, electrical contractors, and uh, say, what do you need your entry-level people or your mid-level people to know? Right, to know. Mm -hmm. Right? And then teach them those skills through projects. So there's four different volunteer build organizations, Rebuilding in Paradise and surrounding communities right now. So go to those job sites, help them with their rebuilds, try to generate more volunteer help because they're really struggling with that as well. And then get those hands-on tools, get them rebuilding, whether it's teaching them how to finish concrete. Again, my passion, so much fun. And the reality is if you're on a regular job site and you're the former with concrete, you don't have the time to learn how to finish it when that mud's going off right then. So we'll we'll create those spaces to teach that. Yeah, That's so cool. When do you actually think this will come to fruition? Do you have like a goal date? I do. I mean, the goal that my drop dead date, I'm going to say January 1st. I think it'll be, I think the pieces will be together before then. Yeah, so we're securing funding right now. The NOFA hasn't even been released yet, but we're still filling out the application. We've had several conversations with the EDA. This is right under, right on their radar. Like this is right in line with what they're trying to achieve, not only through fire rebuilding because we're coming out of COVID, also that. And then we've talked to our local community foundations. We're going to talk to them about funding. BCE does have some money in the bank, so we can throw some skin in that game too. And then and then go out to industry and ask them to put their skin in the game because we know they right. need the employees. Right. And the other part of what we're going to do here is also take this truck and trailer to schools, right? There's no more construction tech classes in high schools and middle schools. And so, you know, right now on a very small scale, we do construction camps with the Boys and Girls Club. We do construction camps with our local recreation district. So grow those programs too. So, you know, take two weeks doing the NCCR core thing and then one week maybe in schools, like getting kids, just talking to kids about construction, talking about the opportunities there mm-hmm. and then getting their hands on tools and either building something fun like cornhole boards or something like that or identifying a campus project. That's even better because again, when those kids are walking by that with their buddies, right. I put down that concrete. So if there's a cool project that needs to be done on campus, that's even better. Oh, that's so awesome. I can't wait for it to just start. I think, you know, as I helped out and went by, you know, the girls build camp and everything, there's just so, you know, it's like certain opportunities unfold more opportunities and, and, and spark, you know, new ideas. And like, since we did that and you posted some of those pictures, it was like, I've had actually a lot of like women my age and older reach out to me, like, can you do this for us? Like, can you do a woman, like adult camp for build? Because I think there is, I know I'm like, okay, I need to talk to Amy about this because yes, we can. <laughs> because there really wasn't an opportunity my age and older that anybody taught this to anyone. So I think like I've had a significant amount of my friends and you know women older than me that are like, please like do something with us. And I'm like, okay, well, we got to figure that out. So that's on my radar and we need to come up with something there because that would be so fun. 
ask them what they want to build. Yeah. <laughs> and when would be a good time to have this adult camp? Like, okay. Weekends, whatever, whatever. I know because like. like, I was thinking about like, okay, all the women love like the paint and sip and like the board, like what's the place called in Chico? Oh, that's yeah. like the board where you go and you like create a board and you make your own sign. And I'm like, women really surround themselves around these type of like creative outlets and how much more like empowering and inspiring would it be like to be able to put, you know, a table saw in that shit. <laughs> right. I'm that so down amazing. with that. Okay. Yeah. So even if we like do it at my barn, I don't really care. I'm after this, we're going to figure out something because I have yeah, a lot are. of people reach out. I just thought, Oh, I would love to do that. And like give women our age. Cause I have so many horse friends and so many like really strong women who know how to, you know, back a trailer, like nobody's business, but to be able to feel confident and comfortable using power tools, I think that would, you know, just kind of like, it's already inside. They just, there's nobody there to teach them. And you're such a good teacher. (laughs) Oh, I don't know about that. I try. Yeah. That sounds amazing. I'm not sure about drinking and power tools. We'll have to do the cutting first and then open the bottles of wine. (laughs) But I'm down. That's our tools. And then what should we call it? Um, build and, and beer. No. <laughs> <laughs> Saws and sips. Yeah. <laughs> All the creative ideas coming through. Right. Okay. So, you know, I, I'm going to take it to a little bit deeper level. I know that you lost your house and I know that you've come through that and you've since like moved into your house, but take me through maybe like kind of what life was like before that and then what it was like for you that day. And then, you know, I always want to hear how people come through that because there's just like moments and things in life that they just change us forever. Is that one of those things for you? For sure. So yeah, I mean, we had lived on our property. So we've been in Butte Creek Canyon since 1998. We've been in our current property since 2000, late 2004, early 2005. So did you guys um, build that house that was there prior to the campfire or was that existing? It was an existing house, but we had basically gone through 90% of it. We hadn't yet done the master bath and the day of the fire, day before the fire, we were actually busting out that wall to expand it into the living room. So we had like moved the kitchen. We had added our office. We'd done a lot, but you know, put in a pool, put in a whole outdoor kitchen, daddy-o patio, like put in a cup made it all covered porch. So we'd done a lot of work. A lot on of it. work. Yeah, a lot of work. <laughs> and I think A, I took that for granted. And B, I was just very complacent in my life. At that time, I was actually working as a director of operations for a tech company and I worked from home. So that was really beautiful that I got to work from home, but I wasn't building as much. I kind of got away from that. Like that's, I was doing that in my spare time, not in my fun time. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so I was just really complacent, I think. And I've been at my job for 16 years. And I mean, my husband probably wouldn't be happy for me sharing this, but I'll, you know, like our marriage has kind of grown stale. Like, were we really happy? And so, I mean, the fire, the whole process of just having all of that with the rug ripped out from under you was just, I, I can't explain it. And I, it's almost like euphoric in a way, but not in a good kind of euphoria. I mean, it is like, right. Like strike. a lightning strike. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like so happy to be alive and to have my family and to realize the only things that we lost were just things we were yeah. home. So we were able to get our pets loaded up. Right. We'd been evacuated several times. So, you know, I knew to pack a suitcase. So, you know, I have like 
my favorite pair of underwear and stupid stuff like that. You know, you lost most of your clothes, but just be able to put on that perfect pair of of underwear (laughs) was totally crazy. But we didn't take the other things like, you know, the paintings that my grandmother did and my grandfather's war memorabilia. That stuff sucks. But the rest of it is just really things. I have my family and that. And I had, you know, a great husband that knows how to build. So that first two months, we didn't know where we were going to live. And life is just really strange and has weird ways of taking care of you. So my step, my dad had passed away. So my dad, my stepdad, my dad. So mm-hmm. that's one of he raised me since I was four. So that's who I refer to when I talk about the builder. So he had passed away. My parents had divorced about 10 years before, but his house was sitting vacant. It was on Cal Park Lake. So it, strangely enough, my mom, he left my mom all the furniture, all the stuff inside of the house. So, but his the actual house to his brother and sister, and it was in probate for various reasons. So my mom had come in and taken all the furniture out and put it in storage because uh, the house was going on the market. And so I called my aunt and said, hey, we don't really have a place to stay and we don't know if we have a house. Can we just stay here until we know what happens? And if the worst happens, make arrangements. She said, no problem. So we were like literally sleeping on the floor. All the furniture was gone. (laughs) Right? So my best friend who you know, Alon, brought over some bedding for us and we made floors on the beds. And then that first couple of days was really hard, just not knowing if if our house made it or not. I think that was actually the worst part. And and then finding out that we did lose our house. Yeah, that waiting was terrible. Finding out that it was gone sucked. Not going to lie. Yeah. It was rough. We found out on my youngest son's 13th birthday. And we're terrible oh. liars. So we told him. But just knowing what. Yeah, know, to so- just like wrap your kids. I mean, like we got evacuated and my children were terrified and husband was gone and all of that. And just like looking in your kids' eyes and being like, I don't know what's going to happen. And you just have to trust me and I love you and we're going to be okay. But like also being a mess, like a freaking mess and trying to not show that to your kids and to be strong. Like as a mama is losing my shit and we didn't even lose our house, you know? (laughs) And luckily my kids at the time were 13 and 14. So, you know, they, we keep it real with them. We talk about probably more than we should. And just, you know, first thing my husband and I are back in counseling, like, okay, we're not okay. Like, yeah, I mean, I was, I lost 20% of my body weight in the first two months, but you know, I'm 110, I say right now, but I was down to like a hundred pounds. I couldn't eat, couldn't sleep. My husband couldn't eat, couldn't sleep. And my oldest son said, yeah, I need some help. So we you know, put him in counseling and my youngest son wouldn't really talk about it, which is just even more terrifying. But you know, just tr- keep talking, keep talking, keep talking. And yeah. we're so fortunate too, Stephanie, because we had insurance, right? Like we have the, the means have, to be able to build back exactly. up, but still and, dealing with the devastation and yeah. something to rock your world and your marriage and your kids' world. It's like almost like you try to protect your kids from everything, you know, and you spend as a mom, like your whole world is being their protector and keeping them safe and then having something happen to them that is so out of your control. And then, you know, dealing with your own sadness. I just can't imagine. I don't know, just something that I couldn't protect them from. And And all you can do is be there with them to experience it. Like, you know, when we first were able to, so, you know, you don't get to go back for a couple of weeks after the fire. And so I have a firefighter friend who will remain nameless that was able to text me pictures of our property and realizing there was literally nothing left. Like all we had a shop and garage. We had another 
garage and then we had our house and all of it was just leveled. And so I remember driving up the canyon that first day and just looking around and seeing it look like Mars, right? Everything's just gone. Like all these houses just gone. But my one son was in my car and the other son was in my husband's truck and driving up there and not knowing if we'd have the strength to do it, but just, you know, getting there and hugging each other as a family and then shifting, sifting through all your stuff. And so we had a two-story house. The second story was just a loft and pretty much everything's just gone and sifting through our stuff. And the boys found this ceramic Christmas ornament that they had made and you know, ceramic got fired. So the weird things that live are, are ceramics and steel. So right. um, they, we had our Christmas decorations, which in the attic or, yeah, right up in the loft. And, and I will just tell anybody, if you want to know what you need to grab when you're, you're being evacuated, grab your Christmas decorations. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's just one thing. It's like, it's not, yeah, those are for so many years of all oh, this stuff. Just, oh, it just breaks your heart. But anyway, so my older son like pulls out his youngest son's like Christmas ornament. It, you couldn't tell that it went through a fire. And we kind of did some more digging and, and the other ones. So we could like have this picture of them in their mask, with just decimated all around us. And these two Christmas ornaments that are perfectly fine. Oh um, my so gosh. Isn't it crazy? The things that life teaches you and that like those, I think that's such a profound thing to learn. Like your children will know that, the chasing of material things is not the thing that brings you worth. Like your children will know that even though they, you know, to learn it this way is not something that we would ever want, but to know that, you know, when they're 30 years old, that the true meaning of life is the people around you and the relationships you have and, and to not invest your worthiness and your worth and the things that you have. I mean, it's a pretty profound message. Amen. And also to find joy where you can, even in this terrible situation, finding the joy of that. And then the other two things that made it through the fire, thank goodness, is my husband's 1968 Pace backhoe. And about two months before the fire, he bought an eight foot dump trailer. So the dump trailer had had some fire damage, but for the grace of People around us, our mechanic is also a fire survivor. His house was in paradise, his shops in Chico. So he got our trailer down to Chico for us and got that repaired right away. So my husband, I think two weeks after the fire, got himself Haswapper certified. And then we also sponsored five of our construction friends, I think, to get Haswapper certified. Because these people, these men that lost their tools in the campfire, like, what are you going to do, right? What are they going to do? So all we can think is, let's put them in a class. Let's get them HAZWAPR certified. So that's the certification that you can actually go into these disaster areas and clean up the fire ash and debris. It's very toxic. So, you know, you got to wear suits and all that good stuff and know how to do it safely. So my husband went through that. And then, so he was out at, back at our property in probably January, we got, you have to go through a number of steps to actually physically be able to start cleaning up your property as well. So January, he was able to do that, but then he was doing it by himself. And so strangely in March of that year, I got canned from my job. Talk about being complacent, right? Um, Which I'd never been fired before, but again, another moment. So I lost my house and my job, but but I still have my family and I'm still able-bodied. And, and I also, and my stepdad had Skidster. So I got uh, my uncle gave me that. And so, yeah, so I got Haswapper certified and then I was there. So it was like, okay, it's just my husband and I each day driving out there. And like, you <laughs> know, it first, out. 
first couple of weeks I was crying on my way out and like by the month into it, I'm like, okay, I don't have to cry every day. And strangely enough, that was a really rainy winter. So it was just crazy with, you know, our equipment breaking down and trying to figure out how to get that repaired. And then, you know, waiting for the dry out so that we can go out there and do that. And then getting in there and cutting out the rebar from the concrete and loading it in the dump trailer and one load at a time, taking it down and dumping it. But looking around at all the people with like these huge excavators and these huge trucks that are like, <laughs> we're just laughing like, yeah, whatever, we'll do ours. It's fine. And then, and then of course, our neighbors around us, those that lost their fire in particular, our neighbors next door in their seventies. And like they had built their house in 1998, wonderful people never wanted to rebuild their house and, right. you know, and aren't going to let any FEMA to come in to clean up their property. And so helping them, empowering them and helping them clean up their property and dump it for them. And, and then rebuilding, you know, figuring out what it's like to rebuild. You know, we wanted to keep our concrete. What does that look like? Well, nobody could tell us. So fine. We're going to have the county engineer out. We're going to invite Chico State concrete people out there to tell us how many core samples we have to drill what testing, how we can keep those foundations. Just once going through that, you, nobody knows. Like what is, right? What, what do you have to do to finalize your cleanup? I don't know, figuring all that out. It was just a mess. So, okay. Yeah. So now that you're like, you're through that, you have that in your story and being on the other side of that, getting fired from your job, losing your house. I mean, girl, you've been through, been through some things. What does it, I, we always have my health, man. So, right? We always had our health. The rest of it's just stuff, right? I mean, so what does it feel like now to be on the other side of it? I always say like, if you've been through something really hard, you know, you've kind of come full circle if you have gratitude for it. Is there any gratitude for that yet? Like, are you at that point where you're like, okay, I feel like I you know, cause it feels to me like you do, you know, being able to step up and be a leader and to show other women and to inspire them and have a purpose and have an intention and not be complacent. Is there a gratitude? Like, okay, if I had to go through it again, I would, or I would never go through that again, but I'm so <laughs> grateful. <laughs> Where are your feelings with that? Yeah. If my house burns down again, I'm probably not going to go through this again. But, <laughs> I'm out. But no, just, and it's it's gratitude for place, right? So when we did end up in semi-permanent housing in Chico, we were next to the freeway and we were next to Walmart. So all night it was do-do-do-do, attention shoppers. You can't camp on our parking lot. And hearing <laughs> like just noise we were okay. never familiar with. We live at the end of a road in a rural community, like the loudest thing in our area. Yeah. Is dogs bird. barking. Yeah. Right? I and, mean, it's a dog barking or yeah, the birds chirping. So not we like just not having that every night was hard. And so gratitude to be back on our property and like, to so working at the end of the day and like it's five o'clock and, you know, usually when I'm heading home now I've got to head back to town was just, oh man, that was hard. And then rebuilding. And I was just grateful to be back home, <laughs> be, mm-hmm. be back home. And oh my gosh, be in my kitchen. So we, you know, finished our dream kitchen remodel about a year before the fire and we built it back pretty much the same way. So I, it's so surreal to be in a place that's so familiar yet different, but new. <laughs> and, yeah. But new and not have things like we didn't, I still, things are just weird. So the actual process of replacing our things is still something that today we're just now getting to a place where it doesn't, like, it doesn't matter. And it's yeah, annoying it really hurt to go buy furniture and it, you would think like, everybody's like, Oh my God, you get to go buy like everything for your house brand new. How wonderful. It's like, yeah, that is wonderful. Like we're so fortunate 
to have the means to be able to do that. I am so, that's what I'm most grateful for. Right. But at the same time. But the actual doing of it is like, damn it. I don't want to shopping. No. I want to be with a hammer in my hand, not, not shopping. So we're back in our place and, you know, we've got a ping pong table and a video game in our, in our living room and our dining room and <laughs> whatever, you know. And you're there and you're settled. I'm, mostly I'm most grateful for the time that we had as a family. So COVID was awful, but at the same time, uh, silver linings, right? My two teenage boys got to learn how to build a house with us. So, you know, they were doing distance learning in the morning and then out with us every afternoon, framing, standing walls, roofing. I've got some really great pictures of us on the roof all together as a family. Oh, for, that's amazing. You know, sheeting our roof together. And I mean, what? 15 yeah know how to build a house my kids do that's so cool that's so cool oh thank you so much for sharing okay so okay I have two more questions for you one of them is if you could like close your eyes and have like a perfect construction dream world what would it look like for you if like all of the dreams all of the things all of the intentional the purpose that like is inside of you, if it like came to fruition, what does it look like? In a year. No, I'm kidding. Can you describe I mean, it? Your, yeah, no, for sure. So when it's hard to work with your husband. So, uh, really? I, have no, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> right? No. And we did that. So we did that, you know, from the fire and then, I don't know, about 18 months after the fire. And, and that has its own set of challenges. And as much as I love my husband and I know how much he loves me, it's difficult to physically work together each day. So, you know, that was a dream for a while, but that's not going to be conducive to a happy marriage. marriage. Home <laughs> so, so I support him in his business and I definitely still go out and work with him. So the job at Valley Contractors Exchange, I did this job 20 years ago, strangely enough, and then it came back open. And so I did reapply for that, not really thinking like, I don't really want the job, but I know that it's still a great opportunity, still get to advocate for construction locally and be involved and talk to it and be out there and now knowing so much more than I did when I was 20 and I had this job in my twenties, I should say, and have this job, but so grateful to be able to apply that. And so when I was offered the position back here, I said, that's fine, but I, I don't want to be doing that 40 hours a week. So let me create my world the way that I want to. So mm-hmm. like you're asking, right. I, I do this for four days a week, do about 30 hours a week, theoretically. And then the other days I get to be actually in the field working. So that's wonderful. Just doing, being able to rebuild with my neighbors and, my husband does new construction. He also does remodels. So we're residential. So, you know, going out and, uh, you know, just helping people with their remodel projects is really fun and rewarding for me and getting to do it each day and swing mm-hmm. that hammer metaphorically, but really swing that hammer and going and hanging out the lumberyard and all that. So, so having that, those pieces is really critical for me. And then also bringing this whole construction training thing to fruition and being able to go out to these communities that feel so much of what I felt after the fire and right. power them. I think that would just be my perfect world. One day of building a couple days in the office because I'm right. now 47 years old and it's hard to physically do that work every day, mm-hmm. right? Right. Body hurts. <laughs> but still being able to do that at the extent that I can and then going out and teaching others how to do it would just be my ideal world. That's so amazing. And no and that. no compl- yeah, that a girl and no complacency, right? Like we have to No complacent I'm complacent no more is one thing that rings through my head and then God grant me grace is the other thing. Like, right. And then also, Patience. you know, stalking the other women in construction that I find locally. Which, like, yeah, you're really good at. 
Yeah, right. Just randomly sending you an email going, hey, you don't know me, but you're gonna. And no, then- I think you have this like beautiful gift to gather people and like to, you know, I think there's a lot of people in the world that like have an idea or have a calling or have a passion or have an inclination to do something. And I love that you act on it, that you're like, hey, I know all of these other people and I know you all need to talk to each other. And like the the relationships and the people that you put together you know, in a room, just like us meeting, I think it's such a powerful gift that you need to lean into because it's incredible, you know, the things that come into your heart and your mind that you act on and you actually make happen. I look up to you and I admire you. I think you're an incredible force to be reckoned with. Do you have, just from that perspective, do you have any advice for me? (laughs) No, I would say, I think you're my sister oh, in that. <laughs> I mean, you're my sister in that, right? You're like the first person I literally stalked. I'm like, you don't know me, but, and then like just talking to you and you have a beautiful gift for that too. And people in the community know you, which I think is just wonderful. Cause yeah, I mean, you, you are doing it. Like I'm doing it with my husband. You're doing it on your own with a team of beautiful women that are making it happen out there and bringing people back home to paradise. So I don't know. Do you have any advice for me? <laughs> I I think that, you know, the relationship that you and I have, you know, just kind of being planted is something I already cherish and know that it's going to be a long-term thing. And, and Amy and I, you better watch out, right? <laughs> we don't know where it's going, but it's going somewhere. Right. I love the journey of, I don't know what the top of the stairs looks like, but I'm going to keep walking, right? We're going to keep walking. We're going to keep going up. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I so appreciate you taking the time and just chatting with me and sharing with me and being vulnerable and crying with me because you know that's what life's about. And I just want to thank you again. Thank you, Seth. Remember, if you can dream it, you can build it. Thanks for listening to another episode of the She Builds Show. We'll see you next time. Thanks for joining me today on the She Builds Show. My name is Stephanie Olson. My hope is that this episode leaves you feeling empowered and ready to boldly take that step into building the life that you envision, one, two by four at a time. And if you can do me a quick favor, please leave me a five-star review on iTunes. I get giddy over reading the reviews each week, and I will choose one special person to win some SheBuild swag. Make sure you add your name to the review, and I'll reach out if you're the winner. Thanks again for hanging out. Be sure to visit me at thesheBuildShow.com where you can ask me questions and share with me what you're building.